Hello and welcome to episode 122 of Killer Hangover. I'm Bettina. And I'm Beth. How are you? We're doing this virtually again. So how you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Little baby. Well, he's not little anymore. He's a year old. And he's not little. (laughs) No. And that one year sleep regression is not fun at all. Kicking your butt, (laughs) huh? Oh, I am excited for the podcast. I am excited for these next stories for the next couple weeks because it's spooky season. (laughs) Spooky. Beth's favorite. Have to say, I've never, I'm okay, total transparency here. I have never really been into Halloween. I know, you've not ever. And I absolutely love it. October 1st, this house is decorated with spiderwebs and bats and pumpkins and ghouls and all this fun stuff. Candy corns out on the counter. Like it is, I love it. And she has a, a wonderful knack of decorating, I have to say. Now I decorate for fall, but it's not quite <laughs> the show that Beth can put on. <laughs> And she always hosts Thanksgiving and is just, I mean, amazing what she does. And then right after Thanksgiving, the girl turns around, packs everything up and puts up Christmas. And let me tell you, she goes all the way. It's like you walked into Hallmark in my house. I'll have to post some of my Halloween pictures, though, because I don't know. I just really like decorating theme with the kids. When the boys get home from school and I decorate it all day. They are just ecstatic. Yeah, They're like, that would make oh my gosh, difference. look at this. Oh my gosh, look at this. Oh, mom, I remember this. And I love, I, that's what I love about it. Yeah, that would make a difference. I remember you guys were home. I was a lot more decorative because you <laughs> you guys reacted the same way. But now it's just Tom and I and Obi and well, yeah, it just doesn't work the same way. Oh, and then the boys do their own like Halloween crafts they're hanging everywhere and it's total theme all month the, from the cartoons I watch to the movies I watch to the food we eat we have so many different Halloween treats and dinner themed <laughs> that's awesome oh and I just gave her a book the hocus pocus cookbook I know <laughs> the boys have already gone through it and picked out the dessert section they picked out <laughs> stuff in the dessert section but yeah, I go all out for every every holiday. Yep, you it's... do. My big one is spring. I love spring. <laughs> get me. <laughs> I mean, fall's fine, but get me through the winter and uh, I rejoice at spring. <laughs> I rejoice at spring because it's spring cleaning. I love a good spring cleaning. <laughs> oh, good <laughs> Lord. Whose child are you? <laughs> okay, anyway, so talking theme... I had the cocktail in the paranormal this week, and I chose a cocktail that is very themed for Halloween. Okay. It has nothing to do with my story. It has nothing to do with (laughs) Ohio. Sorry, Ohio. We're totally veering off now. (laughs) But I thought this would be a really fun cocktail if you guys wanted to try it for Halloween. Maybe some of you are as themed as I am, and it's really tasty. Oh, and good Good job putting it like two weeks before Halloween, because that way, if they do want to try it on Halloween, they can. Yeah, I was actually thinking I'm going to start posting on our social media a few different Halloween cocktails, because I found a bunch of them that I really want to try. Uh-huh. <laughs> so why not take a picture and post the recipe for you guys and give you my rating on it? This one was really tasty. And looking at it, you just see an orange martini. I'm sorry. It didn't it didn't sit like it was supposed to sit. It's supposed to look like a candy corn. Oh, I hate when that happens. I've made a few drinks like that that turned into flops, but they <sighs> tasted good. So it's supposed to look like a candy corn with the different, you know, white and yellow and orange, but it mixed up, but it tastes really good. And maybe y'all will have better luck than I did. But this is the candy corn martini. Mm, okay. So literally in a martini glass, you pour these liqueurs in this order, okay? And you pour it, you're supposed to pour it over the backside of a spoon. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's one and a half ounces of a coffee flavored liqueur. Okay. And 
maybe, I don't know, sorry, but maybe it's the brands you use that mix. Because like my white chocolate liqueur, I got a really fancy one because we've been, I've been using it for a lot of the, co- this is like what, my second or third cocktail, right. I've used it. Uh, it's a pretty good one. But like I got a cheaper orange flavored. So I know I'm jumping the gun there. Maybe it has something to do with the brands you get. I don't, I don't know. know. But okay. Anyway, so you pour in one and a half ounces of the coffee flavored liqueur. And then you pour in one and a half ounces of the white chocolate liqueur. And then it's one ounce of an orange flavored and an orange colored vodka. So like UV okay. is what I picked. Okay. Because it's orange. And then a half ounce of triple sec. Oh. To give it that real orange top. It's a, okay. Got it. And then it Mine all just fell to the bottom and made the whole glass look orange. And it's just this big mess that I made. <laughs> but it's really tasty. <laughs> Does it taste it's like really candy corn? It's really sweet. Yeah, like, it it's be. really, you, I mean, you got the coffee flavor, the orange flavor, the chocolate flavor. Like, and then that of the vodka. Does it taste like candy corn? Mm, kind of. <laughs> But it's supposed to look more like candy corn. Yeah. (laughs) I think you need to rename this drink. (laughs) Let me just call it the pumpkin drink. There you go. The pumpkin sweet martini. (laughs) But there's no pumpkin flavor in it. So then people might be like, oh, I want like a pumpkin spice martini. (laughs) So grief. I don't know. I that was yeah. Okay. Anyway, it's yummy. Long story short, it's yummy and it's supposed to look really cool. So our patrons got a cocktail last week when Alex and I did the patron episode and that was the Headless Horseman cocktail. So if you're not into the sweet martini, pumpkin, Mm -hmm. candy, corn, whatever you want to call it. So I'll share this one with you guys. It was the Headless Horseman. It's two ounces of vodka, three dashes of bitters and four ounces ginger ale. And you're supposed to garnish with an orange. (laughs) In a glass, you have ice. You pour over vodka and the bitters. You stir it. And then you top it off with a ginger ale. It was tasty. We enjoyed it. It was light. It was crisp. It was uh, fitting for the episode. Great. So now you have two choices of uh, hangovers this week, I guess. There you go. All right. Are you ready? I am ready. Okay. Here we go. Susan Griffin and William Liskey met at their workplace, and their relationship soon developed from friends to dating, and in 2001, they became Mr. and Mrs. Liskey, tying their families together in Sandusky, Ohio, which is about 17 miles east of Toledo. Okay. Susan had two sons from a previous marriage, Devin and Derek. William had one son. William, whose nickname was BJ. And just to keep the William separated, I'm going to refer to the younger William as BJ. Okay. Throughout this episode. Got it. Okay. The blended family hit it off initially. Devin and Derek got along with their new stepfather, and William was great with the boys. BJ, however, and for whatever reason, held a great hostility towards Susan. He also... Hmm. He and Derek also did not get along. Uh, they were about Shoot. they were about the same age. It was like a, about a year, maybe a little less oh. between them. Try as she may, the relationship between Susan and BJ became worse and worse. Now, this, of course, put poor William in a very hard position, having to defend Susan and yet staying loyal to his only son, BJ. Mm-hmm. I mean, his blood son. This stance became more and more difficult as BJ's aggression towards his stepmother moved from verbal to physical. Oh, shoot. Ever since his parents' divorce, BJ became troubled. He skipped school, he's fighting, causing havoc wherever he went. He started smoking pot. He started drinking. But William always stood by his son. He always stood by him, no matter what. In 2002, BJ was 16 years old and on house arrest when William... Oh, gosh. Yeah. When William called police because BJ was threatening to harm himself, he attacked the police when they came to the house and found himself in juvie for assaulting a police officer. In 2004, so now he's 18 years old, BJ had a disagreement with Susan, got mad, and punched her in the chest, knocking her to the floor. 
Oh my gosh. Two months later, he hit her with a coffee mug and stole her car keys. Now, this time, Susan pressed charges. She was done putting up with BJ's behavior. He was charged with assault and robbery, but found incompetent to stand trial after a plea of not guilty by reason of insanity. Now, I know people we like use that, but he's obviously a very troubled individual. He is. And he does he does suffer from a mental disability. I mean, I would have to assume so because gosh, that just that just sounds I can't fathom the stressors that put on his dad trying to make everybody happy and then even the stepmom who oh gosh, that's just horrible. And supposedly he felt the strong aggression towards Susan because she was putting down rules in the house. Put your sure. shoes here. Don't just throw your clothes on the... I mean, she was doing the mother thing, you know, and well, setting she rules. was setting boundaries. And he was not happy with those rules. What was his relationship like with his mother? Don't know. They never... In all... Everything I read, they never talked about the mother. I'd be curious. At all. That's interesting. Not at all. She isn't mentioned at all. So did he live full time with his father then? Until he started causing these problems. Oh, man. I'm pretty sure. Now, I like he said, there is no mention of his mother anywhere. So maybe he did live with her. But I has just assumed from everything I read, he lived with William. Sure. Okay, so the charges against him were dropped. BJ was moved to a group home for mental health patients. The environment at the group home was doing nothing to help BJ. So William, always the devoted father, applied for guardianship of BJ. Moving him back home. Oh, man. Not a great move for Susan. Fights and arguments ensued and everything came to a head when BJ attacked Susan while she was in the shower. Oh, my gosh. That is so scary. So her most vulnerable. I was just going to say that's yeah. You know, and he comes in and attacks her. Now, William is seeing that. mm, you know, this this is dangerous now. So William insisted that BJ move out of the family home. In 2007, the 18-year-old was diagnosed with schizoaffective disorder bipolar and was hospitalized. Oh. Now, I, I had no idea what that is was. That the, yeah, is that the same as being a schizophrenic and having bipolar or is it something different? Well, it, schizoaffective disorder I think is a little different than schizophrenia. I'll read what I went to the mayoclinic.org site and they said schizo <laughs> schizoaffective disorder symptoms may vary from person to person. People with a condition experience psychotic symptoms such as hallucinations or delusions as well as symptoms of mood disorder. Bipolar type because there's depression type and then there's bipolar type which is what okay. bj was bipolar type is episodes of mania and sometimes depression so it sounds like it's similar but schizoaffective disorder so i think it's a little different than schizophrenia but the person suffering from this has to be on meds without meds sure it's not under control at all but this wasn't diagnosed he wasn't diagnosed with this until he was 18 yeah i think so from what I could put together, I think it was later that he was diagnosed. I think, well, he got out of that court, the court thing, because his charge, because of insanity. Mm-hmm. So obviously they took tests like they always do. And obviously he was incompetent to stand trial. Right. And that's why it was all dismissed. So they saw back then that there was something wrong. Yeah. And I don't know how soon he got onto his meds and wouldn't stay on or whatever. But it wasn't until I think around 18 that he was diagnosed with this exact thing. Right. So it just sucks that he wasn't diagnosed earlier. Well, surprisingly, schizophrenia, as well as other uh, disorders, do not come out until 18 years old or older. Yeah. So I've I've heard that before. This was probably, you know, he was rebellious and he had mood swings and you know, so, but I don't think he was, he could have been diagnosed with this exact disorder before. Not, he wasn't showing like symptoms per se. Well, his symptoms were all over the board, I would say. He was a very troubled young man. 
After this diagnosis and receiving the correct medication for his disorder, BJ was a little easier to live with. The only problem, he had to stay on his medication, and that he didn't do. As with um, a lot of people who are on medications for mood disorder or for, you know, depression or for bipolar, they take their medication, they start feeling really good, mm-hmm. and then they think, oh, I beat it, you know, I, I can, I, I'm going to get off of this medication for one reason or the other. Maybe it makes them sleepy, maybe, you know, who knows, but they get off the medication and boom, they're back to their dysfunction. So the yeah. medication is so darn important, but he got off his meds because he thought he could, you know, he could do this. And just like that, he was back to arguing and becoming physical. He started drinking, smoking pot. BJ was placed into a halfway house where his father visited him often. According to the Sandusky Register, Liskey family friend Mark Gridell was called to the Liskey home several times if BJ was causing problems. William would call and say, quote, BJ's getting goofy, and Gridell would go over to the house. William and Gridell would have some serious conversations about the Liskey family's safety, especially with BJ living with them. I'm sure it was a terrible weight. I mean, we talked about this. It must have weighed so heavily on William. He loved his son. It was his only, I think it was his only child, biological child. And he loved this kid. And maybe he blamed himself a little bit because the divorce, because all his troubles started after the divorce, maybe kind of blamed himself a little bit. I don't know. But he, he saw the flaws that his son had. He saw that he was troubled. But as a parent, it's an unconditional love that you have for your child. Yeah. And I think uh, something that I really want to emphasize as well is just because somebody is diagnosed with schizophrenia or bipolar does not automatically make them a murderer or a psychopath or a no bad individual. Not at all. I think a lot of our stories where we're like, oh, he was very troubled and then he ends up killing somebody or she was very troubled and she ends up killing people. You know, actually, statistically speaking, those with schizophrenia or bipolar disorder or something along those lines, they are actually attacked and taken advantage of more often than than they being the attacker. Does that make, did I verbalize that correctly? I I mean, yes, that is a cause for, I'm assuming we're heading down that, <laughs> down that rabbit hole there with, with BJ. But I don't know. I just wanted to say that because I don't want that to be like, he had schizophrenia, so he is automatically this no, terrible no, human being. No, no, not at all. He was just, he was very aggressive. I mean, even at school, he was just really an aggressive person. What made him mm-hmm. that way? I mean, the disorder, obviously, but also, you know, what else intrinsically made him that way? Don't yeah, know. the disorder definitely plays a part. But yeah, I just had to throw my two cents. Sorry, go on. <laughs> because of the safety issue at the home uh bj was no longer allowed to live with the family and that was william putting Mm. his foot down just saying no more you've got to move out so where did he move out to uh i think it was the halfway home again okay but there was i mean that was my question too well where did he go i believe it was the halfway home on october 23rd 2010 in an attempt to let bj open up William took him to the family hunting cabin in Carroll County for a week of bonding and deer hunting. They returned home on October 30th. William invited Gridell over for some beer with BJ still there. Everything seemed good. Maybe the week at the cabin had opened up a new, better chapter for the family. But because William had drunk more than a few beers and couldn't drive BJ back to the halfway house, so there you use your answer. <laughs> bj stayed the night he slept on the pull-out sofa bed in the living room okay the next morning this is october 31st halloween and it fell on a sunday that year 16 year old Devin, so susan's youngest son returned from spending the night at his father's house he had only a few minutes to change his shirt and get to church in time to sing in the choir Strangely, when he walked into the house, he found BJ standing in the living room. Even more strange, 
BJ was not his normal, gloomy, dark self. He was cheerful and talkative and seemed happy. Devin was on his way to church in about five minutes. So it took took him about five minutes to change his shirt and to get out of the house. BJ, after Devin left, BJ, quote, borrowed William's truck and made his way back to the hunting cabin. Why did he go to the hunting cabin? Why, indeed. <laughs> when Devin returned from church... He made his way to his room to do what most 16-year-old boys do. Sleep. <laughs> that too. Oh. Got video a game, of, I'm sure. <laughs> he must have gotten a lot of sleep in his dad's house because he did not sleep. He played video games. <laughs> and, Sorry, I'm just craving sleep, so. it's <laughs> <laughs> all I think about. <laughs> I know I'm not a 16-year-old boy, but <laughs> I just want sleep right now. Between 1.30 and 2, Devin realized that the normally active house was uncommonly quiet. And, oh, no. you know, his family really did Halloween up big. And by this time, they would be decorating for Halloween. And, you know, th they did it up big. So why was it so quiet? He made his way to his mother's and stepfather's room. Knocking, he got no response. So he slowly opened the bedroom door. He was surprised to see both his mother and William still in bed, with the comforter pulled over their heads. His mother's foot was jutting out, so walking to the bed, he gently tapped it. Getting nothing, he kind of, I don't want to say hit because that sounds like it was rough, but, you know, he tapped it or hit it um, sure. a little harder and kind of grabbed it and wiggled it, you know, hit her foot. Still nothing. Great. He thought this was a Halloween prank. Like I said, oh no, the family did Halloween up big. Okay, and they were known to prank each other and to be tricksters. I mean, the neighborhood knew them as tricksters. A fun, just you know, in fun. He walked to his mother's side of the bed and slowly pulled the covers from her head. There was a dark liquid on her pillow. Huh, quite the elaborate Halloween prank. He thought. Then after oh, shaking no. his mother. And, of course, talking and saying, Mom, 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 and getting no response, he realized that the dark liquid was blood, and his mother was dead. He ran screaming from the room and out of the house, calling his aunt, Lori Morse, for help. And then his aunt called 911. When police arrived, they found a totally traumatized Devin, of course. Of course. Outside with his aunt. As they entered the very quiet house, they first noticed the unmade sofa bed. Then they made their way to the master bedroom. Pulling the comforter down, they saw that both 46-year-old Susan and 53-year-old William had been shot at close range with what looked like a twenty-two. William lay in a sleeping position. Susan lay in a more awkward position, as if she had been moved. There were two family members missing, 23-year-old Derek Griffin and 24-year-old William, or B.J. Liskey. Now, initially, they thought that Devin had done this. What? So, or not Devin, I'm sorry, Derek had done this because he was missing. So, well, they went to Derek's. I just don't, I don't even understand that. If, if BJ's already been in and out of prison and like on trial and has, obviously has a record against his stepmom for being but the aggressive, police why would they know, even? The police knew that he had been kicked out of the house, so they didn't know that he had spent the night. I see. So... You know, the only person that was in the house then with the parents supposedly was Derek. So okay. they went to Derek's room and the door was locked from the inside. So, oh, of course, no. this made them even more suspicious. So they kicked down the door. They walked into the room and just found a horrible, bloody scene. Derek lay Shit. on his side facing the wall. There was a massive amount of blood and it looked like Derek had been bludgeoned to death while he had been sleeping. Oh my gosh. After searching the house, investigators found a bloody claw hammer, but no twenty two caliber gun. On the back deck, they discovered muddy boot prints heading to and from the pond in the back of the house. Thinking this was where the killer threw the gun, the pond was drained, but no gun was found. From all the evidence found at the scene, it looked like these were not random murders committed by a stranger. Hmm, so now where is BJ? Street cameras picked up William's truck because obviously his truck now was missing. Right. So 
street cameras picked up his truck heading to the family's hunting cabin, which was 170 miles away. Oh, my gosh. Authorities from Carroll County arrested BJ about half an hour after he arrived at the cabin. He was found with blood on his clothes and shoes, a twenty-two caliber rifle, as well as his father's wallet and cell phone. Investigators and the coroner determined that Derek was the first to be killed, having been bludgeoned with both sides of the claw hammer, probably dying shortly after the first blow. Mm. Then BJ would have crept into the master room, bedroom and shot his father in the head five times. So the head and the face five times while he lay sleeping. Jeez. Susan was not only shot three times in the head, but was also raped. Oh, my gosh. Most of the sources that I read said that she was raped before she was shot. There was one source that said she was raped after she was shot. But anyway, she w- that's why she was in a different position. Mm. BJ pled guilty to the three murders. As a result, the death penalty was replaced by three consecutive life sentences without parole. But before his sentencing in September 2011, he apologized for the murders. But, I mean, listening to it and reading it, he didn't really take responsibility for his actions. He said he was sorry, but he blamed mental illness and Satan. Satan? For for the... does he ha- obviously with his illness did he have delusions of satan well that's that was one of the symptoms of the illness sure you know Just delusions yeah uh, hallucinations and delusions and so yes he blamed mental illness and satan on march 31st 29 year old bj was found dead in his cell at ross mm. correctional institution supposedly from a self-inflicted injury mm. now nowhere does it say what and even some sources don't even say it was a cell they say it was they're not releasing how he died or where he died but most people are saying so anyway they definitely ruled out foul foul play and said that what killed him was Mm self-inflicted okay now two side notes the morning after the Liskey murders William's sister Sue Dunmire died in a fire in her garage oh Now, this was not foul play. This was an accident that happened. But, I mean, just think about the poor mother. That was William's sister? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. I mean, this poor mother, she lost her son and her daughter in horrific circumstances. Horrific ways. Just 24 hours apart. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Was that fire an accident? Yeah. I don't quite remember how that started but it was in her garage she was in there and i think if she was a smoker but she went to her garage to smoke and somehow Mm -hmm. something caught fire while she was smoking shoot okay another note when bj was young neighbors suspected him of torturing and killing their pets oh my gosh remember neighbor mark riddell his dog had been shot twice with twenty-two caliber bullets. Mm. Ugh, that's horrible. I know. Gradell also told investigators after the murders that on several occasions while he and William had conversations about BJ, William would respond, Oh, I know he's trouble, but BJ would never hurt us. Oh my gosh. That's so sad. I think the whole story is sad all the way around. It's just I mean, you know, here's Devin, 16 years old. He's traumatized for the rest of his life. Yeah. And then poor father, who was devoted to his son no matter what, got shot five times in the head by his own son. And Susan, who was just trying to make a family here, was raped and shot. But part of me also feels feels terrible for BJ because he's suffering yeah. from this horrible mental condition and of course did he know what he was doing i don't know why was he so happy after he did it yeah you know what what was going on there why was he so giddy and happy and cheerful and talkative after he did all this you know it, it just what made him walk into his stepbrother's room with a claw hammer and just go crazy 
I don't know. We ask that about all of our stories, how anybody can be in that kind of state of mind. I don't, I don't know. And one would think that the jail that he was, you know, incarcerated at would give him medication, right? Well, yeah, you'd assume so. So then if he was on his medication in the jail, why did he kill himself? I mean, what, what provoked that? You know, could he just not live with what he had done now that he had and that's clear- where I'm once. Well, yeah. Once he had kind of a clear head, maybe he once he had clarity and realized had the remorse mm-hmm. at yeah. that point. Now, the one time they did mention his mother was um, a recorded conversation from the jail to her. His mother said, you did this. You oh, killed wow. them all. Oh, wow. Is she like clarifying to him that that's wow? That's yeah. interesting. Don't 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 blame Satan. Don't blame you know. And you did this. Wow. Okay. Got I have it. never heard that story, Mom. Good. I love to tell you stories that you've never heard. Well, this is a horrible, horrible thing that happened, but it happened on Halloween. <laughs> so, and I asked you to stick to a theme. So you thank you, Mom. Did. You like my little doodle I did while I was listening? <laughs> was it that boring? You had to do Google, doodle, doodle. <laughs> doodle? <laughs> do Google, Google, Google. That's all, folks. <laughs> no, when I'm really fascinated in something, I find myself doodling all the time. That's just, I've always done that. Oh. I have to mul- I have to multitask all the time and when I'm really interested in something so that my mind doesn't start to wander I almost have to do two things at once does that make is that weird it's probably really weird no probably makes no sense no because when I'm listening like to a speaker or something like that I, I don't doodle when I'm well you know what sometimes I do doodle when I'm talking to you but no like yeah. a speaker or something I always doodle too so I, I just I have I have to. It keeps me listening better. Yeah, I think oh, so. I don't know. Keeps you focused. It's weird. But if anybody cares, I drew pumpkins and candles and spiderweb. <laughs> Stick into the Halloween theme. Okay. Hey, any guesses on what the kids are going to be for Halloween this year? What? And guess and, and check this. Nobody is dressing as a dinosaur this year. This is the very first year in all six Halloweens that my children have celebrated. <laughs> And nobody is being a dinosaur. Yeah, it's almost it's almost sad. Well, I know that Nolan is going to be Spin. Yes, he's he Spin from Spider Man. Yes, so I know and he's he has be been spin. wearing that costume for the last two months already. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. He's getting wear out of it at least. Oh yeah, and I bought it a size too big so that he will be wearing it for a while. I mean, it'll be Christmas morning and the kid will come downstairs in that costume, I'm pretty sure. (laughs) He's so cute when then he turns his little wrist and he does that Spider-Man thing. Oh, and he just jumps around the house. (laughs) There's a song in that. It's What's Up Danger. So he jumps around the house going, What's Up Danger? (laughs) Uh, He's so cute. So perfect. Aiden is going to be something with Mario. He's going to be that Bowser, Bowser. which is, I guess, kind of a dinosaur-ish thing. Mm, kind of yeah he's gonna be bowser it's his favorite and then finnegan is gonna be a pumpkin (laughs) (laughs) he's a pumpkin anyways he's the most perfect little round pumpkin (laughs) oh talking about wanting to squeeze a kid i mean your kids are all squeezable and they know when yaya comes over get ready for squeezes now they squeeze me back though but that Finn, you could just hold him and just squish him. He's oh, he's so squishy. So uh, squishy. Funny kid. Are you dressing up? Am I dressing up? Alex and I have discussed it. I don't know. We were trying to get everybody to dress in like a theme. Uh, like if everybody did a Mario <laughs> character or if everybody did a Spider-Man <laughs> character because there's like the Spider-Verse. So there's multiple different kinds of Spider-Men. But Aiden and Nolan were very stern on what they wanted to be. So I think Alex and I, I usually just dress like a witch. I have a witch's hat. And then I have this like long kind of cloak, black cloak thing and my boots. So I'll just be a witch probably again. Okay. You know, I'm so into Halloween, but I never dress cool. <laughs> Uh, one of these years, we're all going to dress like a theme for the family. Like, 
We have to. That'll be fun. I'm dying to do like Scooby-Doo or something. It would oh, be so yeah. much fun with them. Oh, the boys love Scooby-Doo. I know. And I had them convinced like during the summer and then that went out the window. Okay, let's talk some spookiness, shall we? Yes, we shall. Okay. In 1819, the author known for being the father of the American short story, Washington Irving, published The Sketchbook, a book of 34 essays and short stories. One of the stories being... Oh, The Headless Horseman. The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. (laughs) And as many of you know this, of course, this is the story of The Headless Horseman, as mom just said. Now, our patrons got a whole long episode on the legend of Sleepy Hollow. Oh, cool. And we did this. I did this episode with my husband, Alex, because mom had surgery and was (laughs) pretty drugged up. So (laughs) we wanted to make sure our patrons (laughs) got a good episode. So Alex and I covered the legend of Sleepy Hollow. I even read to them the original short story. It was a lot of fun. It was a fantastic episode and it's still there. So go ahead, join Patreon. It's there. Take a listen. And then not only do you get the Sleepy Hollow story, but you also get everything that's been posted there for the last two years, extra episodes, interviews, pictures. I mean, there's a ton of stuff there. So the link to Patreon is in the description of this episode. But we went into a lot of depth into that story and the facts of the story and the author and all of that in the Patreon episode. It's really quite fun. But in case you don't know the legend of Sleepy Hollow, I'm going to share some cliff notes of the story, the synopsis, if you will. Washington Irving tells the tale. Well, actually, a narrator tells the tale. He doesn't. (laughs) But a narrator named Knickerbocker tells the tale. And he coined, Irving coined the name Knickerbocker. Do you know what Knickerbocker means? Knickerbocker. Knickers. Like little short pants? No. (laughs) Knickerbocker is like a New Yorker. A New Yorker. A New Yorker. New York accent, but (laughs) a New Yorker. So anyway, Knickerbocker tells the tale of a man named Ichabod Crane, a name fitting for the thin scarecrow crane-like looking school teacher he was. The story takes place in 1790. Now, I'm going to share with you the synopsis of Irving's short story. I know that there's a Disney cartoon out there. There's been two. There's a movie that's out. And there's also like a show that's been released on The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. But I'm going to share with you the synopsis of the original short story. Okay, just to put in there, when I was directing junior high drama, we also did it on stage. Oh, did you? Yeah. Did you? It was kind of hard to get the guy's head to be chopped off, but you know. Whatever. (laughs) Oh, that's fun, though. I did not know that. Okay, so I'm sharing with you the OG Headless Horseman story. So in 1790, Ichabod Crane is a school teacher. Now, back then, schoolmasters and schoolmaster men in general were very sought after men because they were educated. Mm -hmm. They could read and write back then when that wasn't a very common thing. Wasn't the thing. And they would sign contracts and only teach in schools for six months at a time or a year at a time. So they would three months at a time, they would travel a lot. So they have, you know, that mystique of traveling and then they're very educated and knowledgeable. So women really liked school teachers. And when they signed these contracts, though, they're not getting paid a lot of money. Teachers didn't get paid a lot of money back then either. But they would live and they would get provided room and board by people of the towns that they were traveling to. So they would be in one house for a night and then another house for a night, another house for a night. Oh, really? They didn't stay with one family the whole time? Not every night, but they would probably stay for like a few nights at a time at different houses. But that was kind of the agreement for the schoolmaster to... Wow. So, or if they found a boarding house that would put them up, I'm sure... So that basically, too, they but... had no personal possessions. Um, maybe Not a really, little no. suitcase. Wow. So, like I said, he was a very, very, I mean, he's described as like worse looking than a scarecrow in the short story. <laughs> <laughs> Poor man. Regardless of his looks, though, he was a hot commodity <laughs> to the women. They were all after him. Oh, baby, the scarecrow's coming towards us. <laughs> 
And like I said, he's kind of rotating around the town and room for room and board. <laughs> and because he went from place to place and home to home, teachers were also said to have the best stories, meaning gossip. Yeah. At night after dinner was eaten. And if you remember right, Ichabod Crane loved to eat. I mean, there were paragraphs upon paragraphs of just descriptions of food, how he would prepare them. I mean, he'd look at a cow and just have this whole paragraph about how he'd eat it. I mean, he loved food, which is so funny because he was so skinny. His metabolism must have been over over the charts there. Or the places he was staying at weren't feeding him. So he was really dreaming of this food. (laughs) Anyway, at night after they'd eaten dinner, his favorite thing to do was to sit around the fire and he would share the tea. He'd spill the gossip. Well, he'd spill the tea. He'd share the gossip and the drama. (laughs) But he'd also ask those that were housing him to share their most favorite ghost stories. Oh. Ichabod Crane loved ghost stories. And honestly... That's prime entertainment right there. I'd host him. That'd be so much fun. And he would ask for these ghost stories in exchange for little inserts and facts from his favorite book, Cotton Mather's History of the New England Witch of New England Cotton Mather's History of New England Witchcraft. That was his favorite book. So if they shared a ghost story with him, a local ghost story from their town, uh-huh. he would give them little inserts and facts from this book because remember people back then really couldn't couldn't read read. so he would share this with them and he was super superstitious not a little stitious superstitious (laughs) sorry i had to drop that michael scott um so he's super superstitious and he got scared very easily even though he's requesting these ghost stories he would get really scared if he was having dinner at somebody else's house and then he was going back to the house he was being boarded at or what have you, and he would just get really spooked. He's he would always just really spook him himself and, out. Yeah, okay. Kind of like we would do running upstairs. You turn the lights out and you just quickly run up the stairs <laughs> out of the basement. <laughs> Don't even go in the basement at night. Yep. <laughs> he wasn't making the most money as a teacher, so he had a side hustle. He would do farm work and he taught singing lessons where he fell in love with Katrina Van Tassel, the daughter and the sole child of the wealthy farmer, Baltus Van Tassel. And there's some competition for the young girl's hand. Brom Bones Van Brunt. What? Now, <laughs> say that again. Brom Bones Van Brunt. But he went by Brom Bones. Now, he's like the town's favorite guy. I kind of picture him as Gaston, Gaston. but like, (laughs) that's how he's kind of described. He's like really muscular and like kind of Gaston looking, but he was very well respected and he was very kind. And oh, so looked like Gaston, didn't act like Gaston. Got it. (laughs) And the two are kind of courting Katrina and they're both fighting for her attention. Well, one autumn evening, there's a big harvest party at her family's home and they actually called it a quilting frolic. (laughs) Okay. Ichabod rushed his students home at the end of the day. He borrowed a broken down plow horse, gunpowder, and this poor horse was in really bad shape. Uh, But Ichabod gets all dressed up and he heads to the quilting frolic with gunpowder. There's dancing, yummy food, and of course the men are fighting for Katrina's attention all night. Right. But this evening does not go as planned for poor Ichabod. At one point of the evening, everyone is gathered around listening to ghostly legends of the area. The main story being the Headless Horseman, a Hessian soldier who had been decapitated in battle and rides around the area of the old Dutch church and its bridge looking for his lost head. The story goes, though, that this Hessian soldier, this Headless Horseman, cannot cross the bridge. So if you are in the woods and you're getting tracked by him, if you cross the bridge, you are safe. Well, the evening comes to a close. Like I said, Ichabod was didn't they don't really tell you what happened between him and Katrina in the short story. You just know that it didn't end well because he's leaving the party looking very glum and he gets on his old horse gunpowder and they start to head wherever he's staying that night. Well, of course, he has to pass by many of the areas they had all shared in their ghost stories that night, like an old tree haunted by a British spy. There was shadows and sounds, and he starts to get very scared. And, of course, that bridge and church with the headless horseman in the woods, 
is where he has to go through to get to the house he's staying at. Oh, poor Ichabod. Over time, his active imagination starts to get the best of him, and he starts to get really scared, kicking his horse to walk a little faster. But gunpowder stalls. He won't move. And then Ichabod sees it, a cloaked rider upon a horse with no head. He kicks gunpowder harder, desperately wanting him to run as fast as he can to get out of the hollow. However, the two are unable to pass the bridge ahead of the ghoul. Ichabod looks back as the menacing, headless, cloaked figure hurls his head at him. The next morning, gunpowder is found in the field eating grass, but Ichabod Crane was nowhere to be found. The only items left of the mystery were gunpowder's trampled saddle, Ichabod's hat, and a shattered pumpkin on the bridge in the hollow. Now, like I said, there are many different tellings of this tale, some for children, some more sinister and made more scary. The original one by Washington Irving is probably my favorite because the ending, it lets your mind kind of wander. If you want to hear more, you have to join Patreon. It is, we had so much fun with this. (laughs) So I have a question that I noted. Was that their pastime is to tell ghost stories? No, not at all. And I talk about that on the Patreon episode. America is a very new country at this time. Mm-hmm. So there were no ghost stories. Washington Irving essentially invented the first American ghost story. Really? But in his yep. story, everybody told ghost stories. Yep. <laughs> Let's go to a quilting frolic and sit around and tell ghost stories. So why was I sharing the story of the legend of Sleepy Hollow? Ohio. (laughs) We're in the state of Ohio. Well, stories, and I emphasize stories, of haunted hollows range all over. But I found a haunted hollow, a real haunted hollow in Ohio. And you can't mention legends of a hollow without mentioning the original haunted hollow so i had to so there you go that in plus i wanted to make you guys feel left out that you missed the patreon episode so (laughs) just outside doylestown ohio about 13 miles from akron is the very haunting rogues hollow now this place itself has a pretty haunting history that of course i will share with you and from its history and tragedies come ghost stories And then, of course, the legends. During its peak in 1860 and the 1870s, the area, now known as Rogue's Hollow, was very lively. It was a coal mining community. And when I say lively, I mean alive with a lot of bad things. Before the area was called Peacock Village or Peacock Hollow. Oh. But... It became a very dark place filled with very dark people, and the name Rogue's Hollow was given for the people that took residence there. This hollow was literally known as the most lawless place in America at the time. Goodness. Police or people of the law refused to come anywhere near the hollow. People like Jesse James and others, far worse, found sanctuary here when they were hiding out. Men working the mines and making low wages would welcome in these outlaws For a fee, of course. And they were enticed by those fees. And they would hide out the outlaws. Hide out the outlaws. Hide the outlaws. You get it. Driving through the beautiful picturesque area today. It's a very rural area. It's beautiful from the pictures I saw. You'd have no idea of its dark history. I mean, less than a mile away is Doylestown. This quaint Mayberry-like town of like 3,000 people. And the area is... It's beautiful. So with this darkness, though, and in its history comes the legends and the ghost stories, of course. There are lots of paranormal stories and tales of the location, some with truth. Others, like the tale of the Headless Horseman in Sleepy Hollow, have grown, may not have much fact to them, but are still really spooky to share. So it's spooky season. I thought this was going to be perfect. Today, the hollow is made of different walking trails to the woods. There are some camping sites, but as you hike the trails, you may find old caves and closed down entrances to since collapsed mines. The history still seems to be alive, and the spirits definitely are. The spirits of energies of the old miners are seen along the roads leading into the hollow at night. They're seen in the woods, on the roads, 
and then vanish. The ghostly shots of pistols are heard echoing in the woods in the evenings as well. So these are numerous reports of this, I'm assuming. And I guess the woods just have that just eerie somebody's watching you vibe. Even if you're just going out there to walk your dog on the trail. Like it just is just uncomfortable. Hmm. Back in the day, the area was filled with seven saloons. Sounds of gambling, clinking glasses, and the rough crowds can be heard today. Wow. Again, in the woods, in the dark, at night. The tree has since been cut down, but there used to be this very large oak tree on a path in the woods that had this very large, low-hanging branch. One day, while running full force, a horse ran right into the low-hanging tree branch and was instantly decapitated. Oh. Today, people report the spirit of a headless horse. (laughs) Somehow that's scarier than a horseman. (laughs) Isn't it, though? (laughs) But this headless horse is seen in the woods being ridden by the devil himself. I guess some kind of a ghoul rides on this headless horse now. The sound of running hoofs can be heard. Hooves? Hoofs. Hooves. The sound of running hooves can be heard along the path and then suddenly stop where the old oak tree used to stand. Ooh. Ooh. Back in 1826, some of the land down in the hollow was settled by the Chidester brothers. They built a small log cabin as well as a sawmill there on the river. The older brother Samuel ran and oversaw the mill and was very proud of it. After his death, the brothers moved on and sold the mill to another man. After they sold it and moved away, the mill burnt down under very mysterious circumstances. Some say that it was the spirit of Samuel Chidester who burnt it down because he didn't want anybody but his family to own and operate his mill. (laughs) They also say that it could have been the ghost of a man who was crushed in the mill, like back in the day when it was a mill. So there was a couple stories of who burnt the mill down, but it burnt down. Okay. The Regardless. Is, it burnt down. Yes. But I mean, that doesn't really even matter because they rebuilt the mill and now they have it set up as a museum that you can go and you can visit. The woods surrounding the mill have a very eerie vibe to it, they say. Like Samuel is still on watch. Now to get to the museum, you must cross a bridge. A bridge they call Crybaby Bridge. <laughs> Now, honestly, there are several different stories told on why this bridge is haunted. Most say that it was a mother and father and their infant that crashed off the bridge, crashing into the river below. The mother and the father both lived, but the infant had died on impact. Others say that they all died in the crash, and yet others tell the story of a young single mother who threw her baby off the bridge into the river below. Those are all horrible stories, if you ask me. (laughs) But... Do you know what's funny, though, Beth, is I don't know why bridges bring up hauntings, but um, I told a story way back when about Crybaby Bridge, completely different place. And it yeah. was it was like the same stories. No, I every resource I was reading or listened to or watched or what have you on Rogue's Hollow, they're like, and there's Crybaby Bridge. And I'm sure you've heard there's a Crybaby Bridge in like every single county in America. I guess there's a Crybaby Bridge like everywhere I remember. and and like i'm not gonna take away from this place and their mystique and like their haunts or anything and especially if any of these stories are true i definitely don't want to disrespect the dead here but this bridge is like not very high and it's like <laughs> not very long and the river underneath it looks more like a creek <laughs> so I don't understand. So maybe people just like cross it and get creepy vibes. And so they made a story about what happened there. But like, at least pick a story that makes sense. Because if somebody were to drive off that bridge, it'd be a horrible crash, especially if you weren't like buckled in right. But I just don't, I just, I just don't see it. (laughs) Maybe it was bigger. The river was bigger (laughs) than a stream at the time of the crash. (laughs) I mean, there is a mill there, so obviously there had to have like a lot of running water. So, but in things I saw, maybe they were in a drought during these <laughs> documentaries or these YouTube videos I watched because I'm watching this and I'm like, there's barely any water in that river. What is happening? <laughs> they had a mill there? <laughs> I don't know. I didn't get it. 
<laughs> and then this other YouTube video, these these young teenagers are like walking around trying to find Crybaby Bridge. And they're like, we have walked this entire forest and cannot find a bridge that looks anything like like a, a scary bridge. And they're like, oh, this is the only little like trussle that crosses any kind of water. So this must be it. And I'm just like, those are my thoughts exactly. Like I wouldn't. <laughs> it's like 10 steps across this bridge. Like, so I don't understand. <laughs> Anyway, Ugh. there you go. Taking away the spook. Okay. Um, as the name Borny gave away, the sound of a baby crying can be heard and coming from underneath the bridge. They also say that if you stop your car on the bridge, I don't even know if a car would fit on the bridge. <laughs> it was, it has a hard time restarting. I watched this YouTube video on Rogue's Hollow. I watched a few of them. Uh, this one was titled The Legend of Rogue's Hollow by Rick's Nerd Life. And he shared some of the legends I shared. But he also gave some spooky personal stories I thought were creepy and I wanted to share as well. I do have his video listed in our sources on our website. So if you just go to our website, go to this episode, you can watch this YouTube video there. It was good. He did a pretty good job. Okay, so... He shared the story of his uncle, Gary. Uh, he was driving across the railroad tracks. So there's railroad tracks in the woods, of course. And this was like in the 70s, he said. And as he's driving over the tracks, it's like a bunch of tracks, maybe three or four different railroad tracks. But as he's driving across, his car stalled right in the middle of one of the tracks. Oh, that's just And scary. of course, he looks over and there is this steam engine heading straight towards him. He sees this bright light. He sees the train. He hears the train. And he's like, oh, my God, please start. Please start. And he's trying to start his car. He's trying to start his car. And at the very last minute, he finally gets his car started and he drives across the tracks. He stops and looks back, which if your car stalled, I wouldn't have stopped. I would just keep going until you go get help. But anyway, he stops his car. He looks back and there's nothing. <gasps> nothing. It was a ghost train. Nothing. Another YouTube video I watched that was part of a five-part series titled Rogues Hollow, Ohio. She shared, uh, she has a podcast, I guess, too. One of the stories she shared, uh, I couldn't find it anywhere else. And I couldn't find anything even similar to her story anywhere oh. else. So I don't know how much fact there is to it. I guess she grew up in the area and this is the story her mom shared with her. So again, I don't know how much fact is there, but it's spooky season. So I really wanted to share it. The storyteller and her mother used to walk the back roads of the hollow regularly when she was a young girl. Along their walk, they would pass this rubble of a building. The storyteller said it was on the corner of Gale House and Hometown Roads. One day when walking by the rubble, the young girl asked her mom what the rubble used to be. The mother didn't want to share the story with the young girl. Finally, one day after the young girl kept bugging her mother, she shared the story. I think she shared the story just to scare the little girl from annoying her. But anyway, <laughs> the building used to be an old schoolhouse, the students being of the miners there in the small town. The teacher was a young woman, a wife of one of the miners as well. She was bright and bubbly and loved teaching the children. One day during the lesson, the teacher stopped her lesson and almost seemed drowsy. She went around and started to close all the windows of the schoolhouse and then went and locked the front door. The students started to get scared and asked their teacher what was the matter. She grew angry with them and told them to be quiet. She then started to pour coal powder all around the base of the one-room schoolhouse. She grew angry and aggressive with the children and then lit the dust on fire. The whole schoolhouse lit ablaze. The screams of the children grew the attention of the locals, and they came running. Along with the screams of the children came the hysterical laughter of the young schoolteacher inside. Ooh. Wow, we're really coming full circle. Didn't I start the episode with Ichabod Crane, who was also a schoolteacher? I was going to say, I was going to say that, but I, don't know. I just realized that. Okay, anyway, <clears throat> back to my storytelling voice. The villagers tried to save their children inside, but alas, it was too late. Out of grief, the village came together to rebuild the schoolhouse and prayed for a new start, a fresh start with some hope. But this hope came crumbling down as years later, the schoolhouse burnt down 
again at the hands of a young school teacher. Ooh. The land was deemed Satan's land, and the schoolhouse was to never be rebuilt. The rubble still lays there to this day. Because of this, families started to move away from the hollow, longing for a better future away from Satan's land. The end. (laughs) That was, if it's not true, that mother had a really good imagination. And that was one way to shut her kid up. (laughs) I know. What is this? What is this? What is this? What is this? (laughs) It's like, did you hear what the school teacher did to the kids that were annoying her? (laughs) Can you imagine how quiet that little girl was on that walk from that day on? Every time they passed, she just yep. She probably walked on the other side of her mother when they passed the rubble. Or ran by. Ran. Poor thing. <laughs> Again, I have that YouTube video, uh, all five of those parts of the Haunted Rogue Hollow on our website as well. Cool. The end. <laughs> I've never heard of rogue. So ha- have any like ghost adventures or ghost hunters or any of those people? Have no, they- no. Well, that no. kind of tells you and something right there. I kind of <laughs> like, I like those kind of stories of more, more folk. Maybe. Yeah. Like these are local legends. Legends. I, kinda, I enjoy yeah. those. I and maybe too. you guys that live in Ohio, maybe you've heard about Rogue's Hollow. So that was kind of fun for you to listen to. I hope. Um, but yeah, I like local legends and local ghost stories that aren't, you know, done all big on shows yeah. like that. Yeah, that's why I like the legends and folk tales from different countries and, yeah. you know, the goblins in the woods. And yeah, I just love that stuff. Yeah, so I thought that was really fun. But Jesse James really did hide out there for a while. Jesse James got around, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he did. And he ended up getting killed by one of his own guys. Man. Anyway. Hey, it's getting close to Halloween. I think we did a good spooky episode. I think so. We'll keep them coming for October. I love the burr months. September, October, November, December. (laughs) Those are my favorite months. You know what I really like is that it's cool outside and I went out and weeded the other day and I didn't have to worry about a single slithering snake. Well, they're still out, darling. Well, don't tell me that. It was like 50 something degrees out. Well, even yesterday, Alex, Finn, Nolan and I took a like a long two mile walk yesterday. It was beautiful. I had a sweater on and some shorts. It was beautiful. But then a few hours later, I go to school pickup and I'm like, Mel- Hot. I'm melting. <laughs> Oh, well, I have a question. I have a question for you. Yes, mom. You said that people see these ghosts, miners and, you know, the apparitions or whatever at nighttime. Yeah. Okay. Now, my question that I'm throwing out is, are the ghosts there in the daytime too, but they're so transparent or whatever that we can't see oh. them? Because it doesn't make sense to me that ghosts are only out at night. And I know that they do so investigations then, so then at night. Of, then that kind of leads me, though, to my whole theory I went with a couple weeks ago that I mentioned. They're probably not ghosts, but spirit energies. And maybe because of the darkness, you can see those energies. But they're there all the time. Yeah. They're yeah. there all they the time. And then I know investigators like Ghost Adventures, Ghost Hunter, what they do that at night because there's less there's less noise from the outside. There's less congestion in general of everything, yeah. I don't know. But I would think that spirits, energy, whatever, is around all the time, not just at night. Well, those are like my f- my favorite kind of ghost adventures when you know how they go to the house and they're kind of getting like a, a original tour of the house right, and they're uh-huh. meeting people and they're interviewing people. And it's usually during the day that they're doing this when they get activity during those sessions, when they're not even have their stuff set up, they're not right. even ready for the mm-hmm. investigation and they start to get activity. Those are always my favorite episodes because it's like that makes sense to me. Yeah. Cause a spirit is going to be present 24 seven. So that's a good point. Maybe because they're so translucent and like they're seen on the road. So maybe your headlights kind of bounce off of them and you see them. Or maybe at night there's a, I don't know. I mean, 
there's a kind of glow or something and you could yeah then you can maybe see there's a I glow mean, i mean i i don't know but it's just so weird that all these stories are at night when i would assume that energy would be around all the time but it's not just this story it's you know sure. oh at night no, 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 you, i get it but i think as, i know you're not just attacking my story <laughs> i know no, but it's such I a good story people, you can't attack though, it we get more spooked at night Mm-hmm. you know the dark and, and we get more well spooky. just like Ichabod Crane your imagination starts to wander with all those sounds and yeah spooky sights and yeah and yeah. then you get nailed by a pumpkin yeah shoot you're right <laughs> watch your back y'all <laughs> okay well, well, everybody have a fantastic two weeks we'll be back in two weeks we will we'll be, be back, back on Halloween on Halloween yeah. <laughs> I'm excited. I love this. I love it. Links to all of our resources are going to be on our website. Links to the YouTube videos I mentioned are on our website. The link to Patreon is going to be in the description of this episode as well as on our website. <laughs> We're also on social media. So uh, follow us. Leave us a review if you don't mind. We really appreciate it. And if you have any personal stories you want to send us, email them to us. Killerhangoverpodcast at gmail.com. Yep, and we appreciate the people that have sent in ideas and locations to Oh, research. we love it. We love, 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 and love, love, love it. And also the uh, drinks that people have sent in for us to try. So yes. we really appreciate all that. And don't forget, if you ever make one of our cocktails, please send us a picture of the cocktail. It doesn't have to be some fancy, but just let us know what you thought about the cocktail. Yeah. Definitely. Your own little review. One of these days, we're going to make a dang cocktail book. We really should. That would be so much fun. Okay. Well, virtual cheers, mom. I love (laughs) you. Cheers. Love you, kid.